0: Welcome to The Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art, where we bring you a new story about your world in every episode. Today's guest is Rafael Sanchez Cruz, television reporter from Univision. He will share his world in front of the camera and behind the scenes. Thank you for following The Jesse Garcia Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. For more information about the podcast, Visit jessigarciashow.com. Back in October 2020, the Congressional Hispanic Caucus asked the U.S. Government Accountability Office to investigate Hispanic representation in media. The disappointing report released this past month was titled, Workforce Diversity, Analysis of Federal Data Shows Hispanics Are Underrepresented in the Media Industry. Wow there is a serious lack of Latino journalists and other media industries. The crisis is twofold. America doesn't get to see or hear our stories. And when they do, they often are told through the lens of a person who's not Hispanic, which often leads to stereotypes that have plagued our culture and dictate our small contribution to the big and small screen. Overall, Latinos make up 18% of the U.S. population. But in this report, it found that Latinos working in print journalism and book publishing were only 8% of the workforce. An estimated 11% of workers in television news and news analysis were Latino. But those numbers actually inflate the amount of Latinos in newsrooms overall because they counted Spanish language networks where nearly everyone is Latino. And let's point out that Thank you to the Spanish networks Univision Telemundo for providing a launching pad to many Latino journalists who otherwise would not have a fair shot in the English language networks. Spanish language media in the United States is where the next major Latino media personalities will be created and launched as our nation keeps getting diversified and one of those rising stars is reporter on the scene, Rafael Sanchez Cruz who's not afraid to ask tough questions in a very slim fitting, but stylish, dark gray suit. I wanna welcome Rafael Sanchez Cruz, a first-generation Mexican-American journalist who serves as Univision's White House and DC correspondent. Rafael started his career as a multimedia journalist in his native California and moved to Washington DC in 2015, where he covers politics, immigration, and human interest stories. He earned an Emmy for his story on Mi Vida en Transición, about a young trans girl and her family's journey to acceptance. I got to meet Rafael last year, when he was awarded the Committed Ally Award by the TransLatina DMV organization, and we've remained friends ever since. Thank you, Rafael, for coming on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. I know you're very busy.
1: Thank you. No, I I appreciate you giving me the time and sharing your platform to talk to you. and. It's about time. No, Don't get.
0: <laughs> we have a lot to discuss, but before we go into it, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: So, as as I remember Jesse um, laughed about he's like, are you a Texan or Californian because we joke around about who we are here in DC. And uh, so I'm um, I'm Ca- I'm Californian. I was um born in the Inland Empire but grew up in the Central Valley, so ag the ag portion of California and um my parents are both Mexican. So I grew up in an AG family in the Central Valley, um, kind of navigating this, this um, predominantly white community, being like the working class family. And um, eventually, fast forward, I um I decided to enter journalism. And I decided I spent a year in Mexico and I decided to pursue Spanish language journalism. Um, particularly because I feel like my role uh, in my job now working for Univision really just is an extension of what uh, my role was growing up. I was always the one um, translating for my parents, being the one that read the documents, filled everything out, um, the one that was there to speak on behalf of my parents and really um, advocate for them, advocate for myself. And at the end of the day, I feel like that's kind of an extension of what I'm doing now, just in a different platform. So Basically, when I tell
0: people. You wanted to be an advocate for the people. So that's what turned you on to journalism.
1: I think it just comes second nature. You know, it comes second nature to me just to like assume this role. And when I realize like a lot of the time when I, you know, when I'm working on a story, um, th- that's what I'm doing. You know, that's I'm, I'm doing it the same thing. And it might be at a local level. Um, when I'm doing it. And now I'm dealing more with politics. and But it's the exact same thing. I just always think of like, what's the information that my mom wants to know and needs to know? Um, and that's really what kind of pushed me into this realm. And I've been in DC now. Um, so I started my career in California and I've been in DC now for um, going on six years. And it's been like the biggest surprise and accident that's ever happened, the best and accident that's ever happened. And um, I don't I don't regret it by any means. I, I think it's been uh, a place where I've definitely been able to to grow a lot, which I'm sure you can relate to as well. Of the opportunities that the city like brings brings to you know people like us that we're from small communities, and all of a sudden it's like the whole world opens up for you.
0: Well, thank you for being that person that connects people to resources, because you're literally just connecting people to resources that them not know what's coming down the pipeline regarding politics, what's in their community and mm-hmm. it's a very busy busy career that you got what's a typical day yeah. for you?
1: so i usually start off um i like wake up and grab my phone and i'm looking at news like since i start and just kind of brushed up on what i missed missed out on um as you all know um dc can stay up really late not
0: partying but voting and (laughs) trying to trying to get stuff done it is a very busy news cycle now we live in a day where a story can break in the morning and be replaced by uh, the afternoon so
1: right always
0: got to be monitoring what coming comes out on twitter correct yeah and so i kind of
1: just kind of have to create a a um I'm always in the look at the lens of like what what do people need to know, you know? So it, it can be sometimes unfortunately the story that impacts our community is not the story that nationwide is like maybe the front story or the top story. Um, And I say that, unfortunately, because our community still has to deal with issues like, for example, um, you know, what are going to be the next procedures that ICE is going to take? That's something that's going to really impact my community. And as opposed to English language media, not so much going to be something that they're going to be on the forefront. Right. But when you have this information for our communities, I mean, this can literally be the difference of whether people are going to go out this weekend, whether economies and and communities are going to be able to prosper uh, because of the fear that these um, these new rules in place um, could cause, you know, to to these people that are that have been living in fear. Um, So that's the lens that I look through news and kind of how I try to navigate. I get to the station at 10 to have an editorial meeting with pitches. I have to pitch and argue and defend my my news stories, and then I just get going at that point. You know, I usually try to have a structure in place already, but by 10 by when I get here and have an idea of of how to go about, but news is also constantly having to pivot and having to Just work on your feet and, you know, find something else. If somebody says no, then finding another avenue or also there's breaking news stories and you got to drop everything and focus on what it is that day that's going on. So by, I mean, by 1130, I should already be doing at least one interview. Um, I have to get my story in by 430 um, so that the Univision affiliates can have it and can kind of air it. And then I'm on standby at that point for any live shots. So just like anybody that wants a live shot, I'm kind of there, just wanting to um, wanting to you know be be prepared for them and kind of be available to answer any questions that the anchors might have in the different stations all over the country. Do you even eat? Do you even have a I, do. <laughs> I do. I do eat. Um, I forced myself to eat, but interestingly enough, in the beginning of, of this whole like career, I didn't eat at all um, because we did, I didn't have the time and I was very much like, go, 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 go. And if I was eating, I felt like it was a waste of time. But I think part of growing up has been, you know, kind of time, taking time to prioritize because it's definitely a reality, not only in D.C., but also just in journalism in general, where burnout is a horrible um like plague and it can really just be from just being something that you think is just a mental, um, you know, state of mind, but it also starts having definite um repercussions on your physical health. And I've been through that in different stages, and at this point, I'm 30 in my 30s now, and I'm like, I'm trying to avoid that as much as possible. So I do eat um when I can sometimes, like scarfing down before
0: an interview. <laughs> before an interview, uh, yeah. there are more than 40,000 journalists working in the United States, not that many have the opportunity like you. To working at a major, major network mm-hmm. in a big market. How competitive is your job in getting hired and remaining on prime time? You know what? I think it is definitely um, very competitive.
1: And I say that because, well, first of all, it's competitive because um, there are not a lot of people that are, that are focusing on Spanish language media um, only. And I don't see that as, a, as, as it is unfortunate, because at the end of the day, I, I still pursue this avenue and I constantly get the question all the time, why aren't you doing English language media, because as you can hear, I can speak English. But it's this idea of like, there's also just a need here. And I don't, unfortunately, that my job is still necessary and my role is still necessary. So it is very um, competitive um however I think that for example when it comes to politics and stuff like that it can be a very overwhelming topic for a lot of people and some choose not to have this um this path um reporters and uh anchors have a very different kind of I mean you you have to be very passionate you have to be very driven there has to be a lot of grit you have to be able to take criticism very well. However, I think that if you are a reporter, correspondent, whatever it might be, you really have this very different drive to literally get down to an exclusive, get down to every little detail of stories and really push yourself. And it's a very demanding job. I think it, it, you know, um, for a lot of the parents out there that are in this industry, my, my hats, my hat goes off to them because, um, if I had multiple hats, I would tip them to them as well, because I, um, it's, it's just, it's so draining that I don't know how, how they do it. And so a lot of it is just, um, I do think that it is, has to do a lot with, um, with performance and how hard you work, but it's also, there's some factors that, are often not talked about in journalism and I feel like are still taboo of like for example it's like the faces that you want to see on broadcasts, you know, and and unfortunately I've I've been in the situations where, you know, you want to be at prime time and you want to be in that spot, but they're not looking for a for a um for a man. They're looking for a woman. And that's okay. Or they're trying to diversify their their cast. And I personally don't see anything wrong with that. I think it's important. I think if you can have more Afro Latinos in Spanish language news and you should. And if that person is deserving of the role, go for it you know so it is very competitive um i mean and it's I think
0: competitive my- where you're at but it's even in the english side the language there's barely any latinos there's a government report that just came out saying that we're underrepresented and it's not that the it's it's a bad situation because we don't have access to those jobs but it's even worse because we don't get to tell our stories and we're omitted from the narrative, uh, or the the news cycle, the 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 public face of what we get to see, what we consider news, our communities are not represented. You know, in these newscasts, our issues are not being covered. So, so
1: this happens. This happens all the time, and it just happened, Jesse. Like. Um a couple weeks ago there were some severe thunderstorms here in the dc um, area and an apartment complex in rockville maryland uh flooded completely and um uh two people one person died um in the complex because they got stuck uh from the water that rushed in. i had done my political story i was done and i knew my colleague was out there and I knew she would need some kind of support so I volunteered to send myself out there because I've done local that's what I that's that's my that's my forte right so I was like I'm going to go out there and back her up whatever she might need, I get there and every um, local outlet is out there, and there was only um out of all the pe- all the journalists out there um uh, the both spanish language outlets obviously spoke spanish and there was one other colleague um from fox who was there who also spoke spanish but the rest didn't so literally they were bound to either getting Testimonies from little from younger kids that spoke English, but there was no relation and no backstory to what these people were going through. And it's 2021. I'm I'm honestly tired and sick of it of having to experience this every single time. And even the the residents that were affected started joking about it because they were people they would approach them and say, Do you speak English? Do you speak English? Do you speak English? And a lot of them were like, really like even in this moment i am forced to speak english when like you're you want to know about my tragedy at this point point. and they looked at me and they said why haven't they hired more latinos to actually be able to speak to us and tell our stories. Um, And this is something that unfortunately, I mean, we are very blessed in the DC uh, metropolitan area to even have a lot of um, resources in Spanish available. However, when we're telling these stories, when we're going, when um, my colleagues are going to the border, we still have to hear this audio and these videos of broken Spanish and like, trying to get contextualized and the people that are working behind the scenes are our producers and I have colleagues and friends that are behind the scenes and doing great work. but it's just not the same and it's not fair and I'm calling it out in a way because it's it, they they shouldn't be behind the scenes. They should also be in front of the scenes. you know I have a for example, um, Armando. Uh, I started with Armando uh, Garcia. he's now ABC. He's been the—they assigned the first um, producer and correspondent to cover immigration for ABC News, and we started at 22 years old uh, together in the same small little station in California, but. You know, people like Armando should be given more of these roles, and it, it's unfortunately that it's unfortunate that we still have to have this conversation, and that we're still seeing, for example, the coverage at the border with broken Spanish and attempts to figure out what these migrants are are saying as they're, you know, trying to to seek out a better life and opportunity. And they're here trying to other
0: stories, and all we need is for someone to really butcher their journey and ruin what could have been a good. In the human interest story because of lack of uh, of resources on the news station, mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. and so I've seen so many clips of, for example, of Central American migrants um, now, and when they're you know at the border and they they ask them, well, why are you crossing? And obviously it's in Spanish, and the headline of the story is. migrants say that, you know, that the Biden administration has has made it has welcomed them or made it easier to come to the U.S. When in reality, when you hear the entire audio in Spanish, these people are saying, no, we're fleeing and we have no other option. And we assume that hopefully in this administration's heart, they are able to welcome us welcome us in. However, that's not the title and that's not what's on Twitter. That's not the clip
0: that circulates on social media. That's not the red meat that's going to click on. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. so let's since we're in this topic, how has reporting the news during the pandemic changed? I mean, because you got a lot of stuff going on, a lot of competing stories. You live in D.C., where you got the pandemic going. You got partisan politics. You just had a crazy election, the January six assault that happened in Washington D.C. We're living in very partisan times. How has this? Make your job harder or easier, or
1: I mean, unfortunately, and I know it sounds so. Every time there's something horrible going on, it's you know what your job is, and it's to inform during an uncertain time. So your role is very is like very like uh, defined and and distinguished at that moment. I started when the pandemic started. I was still doing local, and unfortunately, again, and I feel like I'm beating the dead horse with the same narrative, but it was the exact same situation that I was talking about um, earlier. Um, There were not enough resources for people. There were not enough resources in Spanish for people. Vaccination um, uh, outreach was not at the top of people's lists for the Latino community. Uh, Testing was not available in Latino communities. So it was a lot of like how are people gonna get these resources? What is the information that has to um, get out to them? I've had to scour down every Spanish speaking medical expert in the field to kind of get more information out there and and present the same, sometimes the same story in a different manner, just to get it through to people based on what we were seeing um, happening. And so, you know, as, my other colleagues in, in the world, we've had to, you know, get accustomed to doing Zoom interviews and stuff like that. But I think personally it's also just kind of it was difficult because the part that I enjoy most about my job is the human contact. And you were removing the human contact from um, my work and from my passion. And at the end of the day, you were saying human contact is bad and I had to have that message. So I mean there was definitely I think a uh, um a moment where a lot of my colleagues felt this depression and just kind of again burnout um because we weren't having that contact and we were focusing so much on this one topic um and yeah and we and we had these other you know issues that at at one point after the insurrection um when the the fences were still up here in dc it was very draining and it was very much a situation of what's going on like what what life are we living in um you know why do i have to go through security screening to get to my building why is the why are the um why are there soldiers outside my building like what's going on um so it was a very surreal moment um
0: it was a very but sad again i think that sad moment oh, yes yeah. we had to have troops on the ground just to protect our buildings from being rushed in it was really sad it was really sad mm-hmm. and You've, we've had some discussions prior um, that you tell me how people are just so disrespectful and because you're a member of the media. I mean, we just saw that reporter that was reporting at a hurricane, you know, on the in the, in the South about the hurricane that was coming and some person just almost assaulted him on air. Oh, in fact, yeah. tried to assault him. You've had those instances where they've been disrespectful to you. Tell us about yeah, that. Yeah, and they...
1: And they definitely happened during the campaign um uh during the trump's campaign um so before he won the election i think that narrative definitely um caught traction. I remember one day I was working a story regarding licenses, uh, driving licenses, driver's licenses for undocumented people here in DC. And um, this couple stops me and asks me, what's your story? This happens to me often. I tell them what I'm talking about. And the man said, don't worry about it. As soon as Trump gets elected, you are going to be deported with your family. And then at that moment, the wife grabs her husband and pulls him away as if I'm going to act violent. And she acts um, as as I'm offending her or imposing on their personal space. They leave. I, I did not say absolutely anything. They left. And then I had to take a couple minutes to kind of sit in the car and just kind of cry a little bit, just because it was the first time that it was like, it's happening. And my thought is always, I can handle it but what happens if if it um if this continues and they say it to people that can't defend themselves what happens if they say it to my mom what happens if they say it to my dad
0: and this was so, 2016 right
1: yes wow yeah
0: so yeah. since 2016
1: i think that was just a small little taste of what we had to deal with um for the next uh 4 years and i mean it, it was a reality quest um, constantly being questioned uh about the legitimacy of my reporting constantly being attacked constantly being said that i w- what i was telling was a lie uh constantly even if i presented the um both Angles or both points of view constantly being accused of manipulating or or favoring um, with Democrats instead of Republicans when during the entire 2016 election my my focus was Latino trump supporters, but it it felt like no matter what I could do I could report on I. it wasn't ever good enough because I wasn't willing to give propaganda as well to report propaganda, and so um, I will say that I, I had a very good rapport and relationship. Um, with the Latino trump campaign and I I, I I feel that I i'm satisfied with the reporting that was done, because at the end of the day, you can't negate and um, the, the presence of. Um, Latinos within this party right With, within um in the Trump um sector of the Republican Party and I we can't negate that and we have to address it and we have to talk about it and and they they do deserve a voice I just do not like when it's framed as if no matter what I do I'm constantly going to it's never enough um so it, it, it is it's it was tiring it was very tiring got to the point where you, you do quite say why do I continue to you know, reporting and showing all angles when it's never going to be in us.
0: Yeah, it's a lot of stress on you. A lot of stress. Um, Now let's, let's switch it uh, to another topic that's controversial. Being an (laughs) out gay reporter, being an out gay reporter, and you're active in the community are you able to steer coverage to the LGBTQ community? Or is it something that because you're part of the community, you kind of have to draw a line?
1: I I don't, I actually see it as, a, as something positive because at the end of the day, um, I think that you need somebody um, within the community to advocate and also know the reality of what it is. And granted, I'm not gonna have a full perspective of what it is to be a trans woman of color or, even close to a perspective of what it is but i think that you will have an ally here that is going to be a- able to say well this story is valid because x y and z you know for example it might be even something so simple argue as you
0: got to defend these stories every t- at 10am every morning uh, to your editors uh and producers this is the reason why we need to have this story so it's great to have some context of the community when you're up there pitching
1: Right. And at the end of the day, it's like, I also want the community to feel comfortable for it. You know, if, if, if you're dealing with um, increase in crime and increase in targeting, and um, you feel as the police is not doing anything to help you out or even taking your case into consideration, I don't want you to feel the same way about the media doing the same thing. So I do take it as a strong point for me being here that there has been a closer approach to to the community because at the end of the day, I was the one you know being informed or the one that they trusted to call for, for that situation. Um, So I never I've always seen it as a strong point and I've always seen it as my role has definitely been of let's report on it accurately and I think that, in a way, having somebody. um, Here, who's able to have those conversations of what language to use and how to use it um, is also very important because, even though it's. You know, we assume that media has this idea of how to how to report stuff. We still see constant, um, you know, uh, misrepresentation or misgendering of people, or or just you know, just the telling of stories and and not the the right way. And there is a right way, um, but there people choose not to do that. They they want to be uh, they want to sensationalize the story. And so I think that that was important to. Um, to really be here and kind of push that. And again, I don't have an issue with people just having a question and being like, well, you know, this. how do I go about this story? How do we tell a trans woman's story after she's been uh, subjected to some kind of assault? and the police report misgenders her, uses her dead name, how do we proceed with this? When the report is telling you one thing and we have to base ourselves on the official reports, but you know the reality is different. So, I mean, that's a situation that you deal with. Thank you
0: for recognizing that and for making that something that you're gonna look out for when you have to go across those police reports and people's lives have been misrepresented and being able to figure out how to deliver that story with compassion. That's so mm-hmm. important. That's mm-hmm. why we need people like you in the media. Um,
1: yeah, and I, and, and I think the hardest part of, of like journalism sometimes it's the idea of, um, granted this is my approach, of just the idea of people just opening up to you and warming up and being able to have this conversation is like the the hardest thing. And it's something that you can't teach. You can't teach people to be, warm and to really have them open up to you Um, but I think that once you have that because you are part of you know their own community I think it's it's an asset to have that in in every newsroom and it could be the smallest of the stations to the networks you know but somebody there to really understand what's going on and the complexities of why you know uh, if there's a, te- a trend going on someone that can say well this is going on nationwide this also goes on but just because it's not on the forefront it's not um the the breaking news story we still should cover it we still should follow it
0: one last important question who does your makeup me <laughs> <laughs>
1: I know. Every <laughs> everyone always assumes that it's like everyone's like, oh, you get your makeup done and everything. The majority, I honestly think that probably like eighty percent of all broadcast people do all their
0: own makeup. So, and, and, and it's like and the quickest guy, thing. Because you're a guy, you're not normally using makeup on a daily basis, but for your work. Wow. You have to, no. <laughs> at, wow. But no. <laughs> what do you use? Do you have to have sort of like there's like sort of like a, a standard of like you gotta have this amount of makeup on
1: no i think i think that it's 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 very much um no there's not like a standard of how much you should have on i will say for anybody now that videos are most common and all the stuff that we're doing so for example if you're using makeup videos i know i know so but the, the thing is that so most most of the stuff um i always tell people if you're gonna be on some kind of camera and you're gonna be under lights, don't wear any makeup with SPF for that, For that, because the SPF projects the white back and that's when you get a lighter face compared to your neck. Um, but in terms of, I, I do try to maintain it um, as natural as possible now, as opposed to when I was younger, when I, I think I could, I like wore a lot more and it was just <laughs> like a this idea of like, you can't be shiny and you can't get distracted. Um, I think that it's also again a big like thing that people do not like to talk about. You know, I still have colleagues that hide and put on their makeup so that nobody sees them or like have a little <laughs> contact. And it's so silly to me because at the end of the day, it's like I, I did get into it because obviously it's work. And at the end of the day, what you're doing is you're just trying to make yourself more presentable and, and look a little bit more, you know, polished before so people aren't distracted by what you look like but are listening to what you, you know. Uh, at what you're saying and not you know how shiny your forehead and nose are uh but and where do you go again i everything i don't have a wardrobe on it so everything is very it's just mine i am very i used to be very much like constantly trying new things and always like switching it up i think either i'm old or i'm just so <laughs> over it that i'm like i wear black and blue and gray uh, it's the same like light blue shirt light gray shirt and white shirt and just like a rotation of of the same sort of things. So at the end of the day it's like yeah And at the end of the day it's it's it used to matter more to me but for the time amount of time that you're actually on screen it's like i don't know I, again i don't even know if it's the pandemic and maybe i've just dropped like my standards <laughs> way low but now i'm just like whatever gets me in and out it looks clean my mom doesn't call me and say, you look ridiculous or <laughs> why were you wearing that? Then I think I've, I've, I've like, I've made it and I haven't disrupted anybody. Although you do get people calling and saying like, that was hideous. You look horrible. Oh my your nose God. is crooked. Um, <laughs> your teeth are brown. You get that all the time, but
0: you can get that all the time, but you're very stylish and I'm so happy that you're delivering the type of content that you're delivering on a nightly basis because we need, like I said, representation from the LGBT community in the Spanish speaking world. And I want to thank you for being one of those people that are out there doing the good work. Where can listeners check out your stories online or how can they contact you with a news tip? How can, yeah. they, you? can they follow you somewhere?
1: Yeah, so on social media, on all the, on all social media, um, I'm Rafa Sanchez Cruz. Um, and then on... Um, Facebook. You could just say Rafael Sanchez Cruz, and yeah, that's that's how you can find me. All my emails are on there. You can DM me, um, and that's how you can get in contact and kind of see see the craziness that I do. Um, and lastly, the only thing that I will tell people that are interested in just getting in this um, in this um, in, in media, I do think that uh, more and more we're seeing these generations being very non-apologetic about. You know who they are and what their identities are and i think that's that's key you know and you really do need to um for and i know i might not be that um, old compared to the you know newer generations coming up but it's like there's a a great difference of still my generation sometimes being a little too um, apologetic when it comes to entering in these spaces and entering these roles and yes we don't see each other on every platform we don't see people um you know on tv on prime time even though i do like um commend and admire people like um like cecilia vega at abc you know and at the white house and being a woman um you know holding it down and 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 for example um Diaz Ballard now going on on MSNBC and getting his own show and really you know being there Um, but I do think that you know be very much unapologetic and know that you bring so many more attributes and it's unfortunately it's the industry that's not recognizing it now but it will and you're going to be a part of that change once they do recognize and realize that the demographics are changing the numbers are changing and I think that young uh, Latinx kids need to see, you know, their faces, their stories um, also projected on all kinds of media, not just broadcast.
0: Thank you for those words of encouragement, Rafa. I really appreciate it. And, um, and thank you for your Emmy award-winning work. And <laughs> keep putting out that content, okay? Thank, thank you, so you. Thank you so much.